Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. So hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. It is my pleasure now to be sitting with Frank Holmes. Um, Frank is CEO of US Global Investors, a boutique investment advisor listed on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol GROW, G-R-O-W, specializing in natural resources, emerging markets and global infrastructure. The firm has received 27 LIPRA awards and performance achievement certificates in the US mutual fund industry. It was the number one, Lippa's number one fund in 2010 and also over the last 10 years. And among the many other personal accolades, Frank was named top mining fund manager for 2006 by the Mining Journal magazine. Frank, um, what a pleasure it is to be talking to you at last. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, let's crack straight on with this correction in commodities that began in May. Uh, is that a normal, and in, in markets generally actually, is that a normal season, seasonal correction or the beginning of something bigger? No, I believe it's a, a normal correction. Emerging markets are trying to slow down uh, food inflation. Uh, food inflation has always been a precursor to uh, riots or what we're seeing in uh, Egypt and, and change in the world. Um, in North Africa, 50% of your income has gone towards food. Uh, and so that's the same thing when you go back in the history books of Tiananmen Square, there was big food inflation. So there's this concern by the politicians to manage this food issue. And if you have a drought in one country and too much rain like you're having in, in Thailand and Colombia, uh, you have disruptions in food around the world. I think that this is the issue they're trying to manage. But long term, no, you've got to take a look at infrastructure spending. And between now and 2030, it's over $40 trillion. In the next three years, it's $6 trillion. Uh, China is building railway systems throughout the nation, trying to get caught up to what Europe has. And it's amazing to see in 10 years, Shanghai has built more underground tubing as a subway system than uh, London has in 150 years or New York is in 100 years. Um, there's eight other city, cities in China with huge subway programs. In addition to that, there's the biggest infrastructure project in the world right now is, is connecting all the cities in China with a speed rail. So I take it you're not uh, from the camp that uh, thinks China has gone too far too quickly and is a disaster waiting to happen. No, I don't think so. I think um, it'll have its corrections of volatility. And people have to appreciate that half of the volatility with commodities is currency swings. Currency swings are basically interest rate differentials and fiscal policy. So our government's watching their fiscal spending. If they're increasing their entitlement spending for people, um, this creates currency volatility. If they keep interest rates below the inflationary rate, this creates volatility. Uh, along with the demand and supply of any commodity, one has to embed into this volatility the country's currency. Um, so, I mean, this is kind of in many ways the perfect storm for commodities. On the one side, we have genuine shortages, and then on the other side, we have crazy fiscal policy and um, money printing, basically. You see them eventually going a lot higher? Yes, I do. Um, what, what, what do you particularly like? Metals, energy? 
I think it's it's all resources and the different rotations. We publish a piece we call the periodic of commodity volatility. And each year we list all the commodities and show the tremendous volatility. So one year in the basement is natural gas, and next year it's in the attic. Uh, and the price volatility is tremendous rotation over any three-year period for any of these commodities. Uh, and there's a factor of supply-demand. I think what's, what's really important for your listeners is that in, in the 70s, we had China and India as isolationists and Russia behind the Iron Curtain. Further, there's only 3 billion people. Today, we have 7 billion people. And China, India, Russia, uh, much of the emerging countries are embracing free markets to develop the infrastructure. So the world's population has doubled. The environmental rulemaking, like EPA, was only created in 73. So the barriers to entry are much higher to find, source, or move any type of a commodity. But the world's population has, has more than doubled, and they're embracing what we have. They want our lifestyle. They can see it on, on BBC. They can see it on CNN and with the Internet, et cetera. So there's a huge shift in movement. And for governments who want to have political power, they have to create jobs in the emerging markets. So the best way to have sustainable job creation by the father of uh, the GDP factor called Kuznet, the noble lord. Well, he's, the Kuznet cycle says that when any government has infrastructure policies – they create jobs for 20 years. That's what you're seeing with 50% of the world's population. Do you subscribe to peak oil theory? To a certain degree. I think that uh, technology can come along like we're seeing with, for, with gas. Um, and now that's really quickly coming to an issue on fracking. Um, but the capacity to be able to get gas out of shale, I think, is very significant and profound. Uh, what it does is that what a normal gas well was good for 10 years is now 30 years. This is new technology. So I think that the, the energy sector for oil and gas and, and coal, how you can separate uh, fuel from coal, uh, is going to be a very important part to deal with this growth. Here's your math. Chindi is 40% of the world's population, and it's only 15% of the oil. But its economies are growing at 9%. That's the simple math. How doomed is the United States? I don't think it's doomed. America is an incredible, resilient uh, country uh, has this dynamic process of debate and discussion, and it's all about winning. Friday night football. It's embedded. I'm a Canadian that's moved there for over 20 years. I like to say I'm a tech scan. Y'all come back, A. Eh? And what I have seen is this idea of competition to get into school, both academically uh, for GPA score, your SAT score, what's your score, what's your score, is the same psychology for sports. And, uh, and so with that, you continuously have to deal with innovation and competition. So I think that uh, they'll find a way to deal with these, these issues. Very good. Nice to hear somebody talking positively uh, about the U.S. for a change. Um, I've always wanted to ask you this question. You, the, the life cycle of the junior miner, that famous chart, was it you that first devised that chart or was it Pierre Lassonde? No, I would think it was uh, Pierre Lassonde got it from uh, another uh, analyst. Uh, okay. And what's really interesting, it, it's, it's, it relates also to similar to the bigger pictures I show, the S-curve. Yeah. Uh, the, the big S-curve is also uh, becomes a crowded space. But what's important is that, is that the volatility of mining and biotechnology is exactly the same. Biotechnology in the U.S. goes through three stages to get FDA approval before production of a product could be made. The same thing 
is for mining. And it takes eight to 10 years, same thing for a new breakthrough for a cancer product, et cetera, to get through FDA approval. So it, to me, that's the most interesting. So if you closed your eyes to the names on, on a chart, they look the same. Very good. Very interesting. I, I'd, I'd not considered that. Um, go on. Okay. Let me ask you about gold and silver. Now, your PR man, Ryan, sent me a, a wonderfully titled essay that you'd written describing gold as the fear and love trade. Well, I, I think that's, I, I read it and it's great, but why don't you uh, outline what you said in that essay? Well, most of the media is consumed with the fear trade. Deficit spending, uh, government entitlement programs, government workers making more than, than the average worker in the marketplace and not having the risks of the average person. All that stuff generates publicity for fear, 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 fear. Um, what people don't appreciate is what I call the love trade. And in, in 50% of the world's population, where you're seeing in this movie Slumdog Millionaire, the rise of the middle class, in particular India, that movie's focused on, is a proclivity to give gold, 24-karat gold jewelry, for a religious holiday, for a wedding, for a birthday, and for the one you love. And when you have 50% of the world's population with rising GDPs per capita of 9% from a very low base, you have an emotional consumption of gold in addition to central banks buying for monetary discipline. Very good. Now, um, in your... Oh, by the way, go on. When you get the convergence of a season of lights in India, the Diwali season, and you have QE2 being launched, you have the love trade and the fear trade showing up at the same time, and that takes gold to new levels. And uh, there's a kind of religious fanaticism for gold amongst its investors as well, which is kind of adds to the love, I suppose. Well, I guess... Um, there is, but there's two types. The fanaticism is usually from those that are preaching gloom and doom, and I have found that very few of those people actually own much gold. <laughs> it's more of a political statement and upset with the political party, uh, and, and this is their thought process to, to emotionally do this down, downloading. Um, so I always ask the question, you know, how much gold do you own? Now, that's a good question. Now, in, in your fund, you invest in a lot of mining companies, um, and amongst those people that you've kind of suggested talk about owning gold but don't actually own any, they're relentlessly proclaiming you've got to own gold, you've got to own gold. And you'd think that some of these guys have never, ever sold a gold stock by some of the things that they say. How often do you trade in and out of companies in your fund? Well, that's a complete different um, how I trade in a fund is very different than the gold bugs, as you like to call them, uh, what they do. Um, I, I said, I don't think they're actually that big gold stock buyers, and I don't think they're that big bullion buyers. Um, but I do think that one has to take a look at the volatility, and we try to manage volatility based on price and volume. So when you get big surges and spikes over X percent over Y days, then we'll sell 1% to 10%. Uh, if it falls and the fundamentals are still intact, then we buy back. Uh, so we try to monitor price volatility against fundamental analysis. Very good. Which countries do you like at the moment for junior mining stocks? Well, I think that uh, Colombia is probably one of the most stable uh, with huge deposits and a pro-resource uh, development uh, infrastructure. Uh, and the government's been very successful when you take a look at their policies for oil. Uh, Mexico said no foreigners can come in and drill for oil, and their production has halved. 
uh, in the same time period, Colombia's has doubled, and the government's been very successful in taxing that ta- uh, oil revenue and de- redeploying it into infrastructure building, building a superhighway from Bogota to the coast. Uh, what takes 18-hour drive, it'll be down to 8-hour drive. Well, that's, a, that's a big, big transition for that particular country. But they're using the taxes of the oil revenue to do it. I um, travelled all around Colombia as a backpacker, as a young man in my 20s, and I just found it to be the most fantastic country. It's got everything uh, from the Andes, big mountains, to thick jungle, to Caribbean coastline, and presumably that, that variety is reflected in the geology. Yes, it is. And uh, as you've been there, it's extremely uh, mountainous, and uh, it's, it's, it's breathtaking in some of the places, but it's 49 million people. Uh, and it has a the stock exchange is public. It has one of the best performance. It's a young country as well. And a young country, and in, and highly educated. The work ethic is, is extraordinary. Completely different than Bolivia. Uh, very very different and different than Argentina. Uh, people show up with suit and tie, and they see them at work at uh, eight o'clock in the morning, pushing, and eight o'clock at night. So that's a big difference when I travel through many of these Latin American countries. Very good. Um, just as a side note, when I was there, I, I always remember going to this one town, and they're very comfortable about race in Colombia, and you've got all sorts of kind of, from kind of Hispanic white right through to very dark black and, and everything in between. But they have this festival in this one town where, on a certain day, all the white people carry white paint and cover their black people in white paint, and all the black people carry black paint and throw it on the, on the white people. It's quite a kind of fun day. Yes, the only real big discrimination I've found is if you can't dance. <laughs> so that's against white men then. No, we, we ought to take salsa lessons. <laughs> I was a national sal- salsa dancing champion once upon a time. Well, that's why you acclimated so easily to that culture. <laughs> Very good. Now, um, let me ask you about silver. They made, I think it was five changes to the margin requirements in nine days. They wanted to get the price of silver down, didn't they? Yes. Um, and with with oil prices going up to where they've done. Uh, Congress starts making statements that uh, there must be manipulation. Uh, they take a look at the exponential move in silver, and it's just prudent. Uh, they increase the margin required for oil, and they increase the margin required for uh, silver in case there are just speculators. And, and it basically it's healthy. Uh, those speculators will be forced out, probably lost money, and well, you'll get onto the long-term secular bull market. I think silver could easily fall to $30. It could be 20 it doesn't mean that the cycle's over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you, do you kind of have a long-term target for silver, for gold, for oil, or do you just kind of... My simple math has been, look at money supply. Uh, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. has put money into the banks, but there's no money velocity, so there's no money supply. Uh, whereas in emerging countries, where 50% of the world's population are the seven biggest countries in the world on population basis. You keep coming to that, to that 50% of the world's population. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a key figure for you. And money supply is growing at 18%. Yeah. And the G7 is 4%. This is simple math. The rule of 72, uh, basically whatever the interest rate is into 72 is how many years it takes to double. So 18 into 72 means in four years uh, asset prices will double. So we can expect $70 silver, I don't know, $3,000 gold within four years based on that? Yes, and based on that math. And remember, just two years ago, China to ignite the economy in India, a place like that, they cranked that money supply up to 30%. 30%. Now they slowed it down to 18 uh, So when you have this, those two countries are 40% of the world's population, that's very significant. 
So is this a time to be buying our junior resource stocks, the, the, particularly the junior miners? The, the, we've had a bit of a sell-off. There's a bit of a bear market going on. The action looks pretty, pretty ropey. Yes, I think you have to come back to the life cycle of a mine and appreciate that those who are further away from production in a correction like this will fall further. Uh, and that usually provides us opportunity. Don't put it on margin. Don't buy uh, gold stocks on margin. And you'll be able to stomach the volatility. Very good. Let me um, ask you one final question, Frank. Just before uh, I met you, you were plotting out a graph on a piece of paper to, to a lady, and on, uh, on the x-axis of the chart, you had head, and on the y-axis of the chart, you had heart. Uh, it, it, have I understood that correctly, and, and would you explain it? I like to think in triangles, and, um, uh, and it gives me an idea of here's the goal, the direction, and you have an x and y factor. So it's a binomial model if you're a mathematician you like that such as government policies are either monetary or fiscal. Monetary is interest rates and money supply. Fiscal is tax and spend. Tax and spend is individuals and corporations. You create this tree phenomena, but it's all binomial. Um, what I was showing to her is that knowledge is both facts and feelings. So your tacit knowledge, and the CIA like to call explicit knowledge, and your tacit knowledge. Classic would be, you go out to learn to drive a car. Well, you have to get your license first. You pass the explicit exam test. You scored it perfect. Doesn't mean you're a good driver. So you need to get the feel of the wheel. You need to get the feel of the dimensions of movement of traffic. Uh, and that's another part of gathering knowledge. So it's so important to travel to emerging countries to embrace the cultures, embrace the differences. You can read about it on facts. But there's nothing better than also getting the feelings from it. And that's what adds to your dimension of knowledge. Very good. Frank, it's been a real pleasure. Um, do you want to give out the website address of your company if people sure. want to find out more about it? usfunds.com. usfunds.com. And uh, Investor Alert is something you can subscribe to. It's free. And I publish every Friday. It goes out to about 40,000 people around the world. And it's our thought processes. And what we try to do is do game film analytics, like uh, a soccer match. What were the strengths and weaknesses of last night's game? And then who are we playing next week? What are the opportunities and threats? Always three sentences for each uh, to create a balance and a structure. And uh, we comment about different commodities and markets around the world. Uh, and it's written by the portfolio managers. Now, the market makes it look pretty but it's really content written by our, our analysis. Very good. Last question for you. Um, I was just looking at a chart of it this morning. It looks like it's close to its all-time lows, uh, although it's had a bit of a rally the last two or three weeks. The U.S. dollar, are you a bull or a bear? Yeah. I think until they – I'm a bear until their fiscal policies are resolved. When 60% of that deficit is entitlements – that is a serious, serious problem. And, uh, and the only way to do that, to try to get exports up to create jobs, is to devalue the currency. Uh, I think that the big issue we have globally right now is slow competitive devaluation of all countries' currencies. And that's why gold has been in this race each quarter against different countries' currencies. So it's not just the U.S., but what's significant about the U.S., it is still the dominant currency. And it's never gone through this uh, issue. Last to end it is that usually coming out of big recessions, the U.S. has led the world. And it comes over the first two quarters of 9% GDP. Didn't do it this time. It was China. It was India. Mm. 
This is a tipping point that they led it. And in Europe, it was Germany uh, that sort of led that, that, that path. So I think there are structural changes around the world that have to be appreciated. And it shows that it's important to diversify. And in anyone that diversifies, you have to rebalance. So if the gold funds are up 80% in a year and it was 10% of your portfolio, now it's 18% of your portfolio, sell 8%, take your profits and buy the laggards. Uh, and so the dollar is due for a rally uh, and uh, if it goes for the rally, then it will add to the amplitude of the supply and demand for commodities. So they will fall more so uh, with that rally. Very good. Frank Holmes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 